You're listening to National Public Radio. Welcome to another episode of Looking Down Our Nose, an audio essay on the way that we make culture and how it in return shapes us. I'm Pledge Cracklebar, and I'll be your guide on this journey. My guest today is a filmmaker whose work challenges the very idea of what work is, what it is to make a film, and whether a film can truly be made if its maker is unmaking it every step along the way. Languid, full of portent, whimsical at times, her work brings us closer together while reminding us the closeness itself is an illusion. I'm speaking, of course, of Marlitha René Perdue, director of festival hit and critical darling, A Horse Driven, a film that asked audiences to leave their expectations at the door, lest they be burdened by them. If you've been following the trades, you know that René Perdue has been tapped to direct a fantasy film based on a beloved but obscure series of sci-fi novels called The Moons of Gundahar. What will a director of such high-minded intentions do with basic genre trash like this? It's a question that can't be answered by anything but time itself. The viewer who has seen one of her films comes out changed, wondering if what they've just seen is a film at all, or rather a dream flickering on the edge of madness. But don't try complaining to the manager of the theater, telling them that what you just saw was not a film, but in fact a dream flickering on the edge of madness, because no, no, they don't give refunds for that, I've tried. But also because that's no accident. That's Marlita. Thanks for joining me today, Marlitha. Yes, thank you for having me. Um, and if you don't mind, I would like to start off by uh, proving I've done my due diligence. I do know how to pronounce your name. I heard. Yes. Marlitha Rennie Perdue. Right. Spelled Marlisha, but you pronounce it Marlitha. And I just I have to ask, does your family come from northern Spain? Oh, no. I pronounce it that way to be interesting. I feel like that should bother me, but it does make you more interesting. Tell me, what else is interesting about Marlitha Rennie Perdue? Well, um... You are uh, in my apartment right now, obviously, so you've already been subjected to probably my first quirk. Um, I make everyone take their shoes off. As many people do. Right, right. I'm sanctity of the carpet or whatever. But for me, uh, especially when you have a good group going, I like to make people trade shoes and put those on. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that fosters conversation. Um, you literally have to walk in another person's shoes. But since I did not come with anyone else, no, you asked me to just take off my shoes and then switch them so that I'm wearing my right shoe on my left foot and my left shoe on my right foot. And I'll tell you, it, it has opened my mind to things. I feel like it's uncomfortable. Right. And I think that sometimes a, a little physical discomfort kind of puts you in the moment more. That's true. Uh, you being a white cis male, I feel like you do need to be made uncomfortable in certain spaces a little more often than perhaps you have in the past. I've chosen to absorb comments like that hmm. in the moment that they happen and then work out my anger later. <laughs> Good. Anything else? Any hobbies? Any interests? Any, what sets you apart? 
well, what sets me apart. Um, so, you know, that whole Marie Kondo thing that everyone's been mm-hmm. reeling into um, lately, finding what sparks joy and uh, thanking your objects for uh, what they've given you and then releasing them. Yes, yes. Well, I realized pretty much nothing in here sparks any joy, so I got rid of everything. I have noticed it's very Spartan. Thank you. I think it really opens the place up. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I'm working on the barest minimum of uh, objects, and I feel like it's really given me more space to foster creativity and, um, you know, uh, be a more open person because I'm not burdened down by things anymore, only thoughts. It seems like a great way to work. Yes. I uh, I feel like it's really helped with uh, this new movie that we're going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's really allowed me to take it in places that the source material just wasn't giving me. I did notice, though, as I walked to your bathroom to wash my hands, nothing gross. Mm. Um, and I noticed that there's one room right off that that might be like a home office or something, but it's, yes. it's a terrible mess in there. What I really like to do, and some book purists might crucify me for this, is I love to take the source material of whatever I'm working from or whatever I want to inspire me and I tear it up and I litter the floor in it so you're basically looking at a carpet of paper and I just kind of roll around in it and try to absorb whatever Mm -hmm. the author's intentions were and whatever place I'm supposed to take this material and where Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to drive it and I find the the crinkle of the paper the smell of the ink it just really it really guides me it's very unorthodox yes but um, having seen your first film I do think maybe there might be something kind of magical about it but I have to say <clears throat> I have been whispering in this very intellectual way into this microphone, and it is a little hard on my throat. Do you oh. have anything maybe that I could drink? Oh, absolutely. Um, would, you, would you want some water, or do you want something hot, like some tea? Oh, tea uh, would be great. Tea oh, would be great. Oh, okay. Well, I... Um, I did get rid of my teapot, um, so I'll have to go next door. Miss um, Gwendolyn, she's my neighbor. She's, uh, you know, she... You don't have to. Oh, no, no, no. I go over there all the time. I threw out a lot of things I probably shouldn't have. Um, so I'll just go, uh, may- maybe some scones, too. I mean, I could go for a scone, you know. All right. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll see if she can whip some of those up, too. It just in case my throat gets too wet. Mm, yes, scone. exactly. You want to, you know, balance it out for Help the right uh, yes. m- microphone frequency. Absolutely. Stuff, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So... Uh, don't mind me, just hang out there. Okay. All right, and I'll be right back. This is, um, folks, if you're listening, I am sitting in an empty apartment uh, talking into a microphone. Um, Marletha has left the room. She does appear to be going down the hall. Miss Gwendolyn, as I like to call her, uh, she uh, is an amazing baker. And, um, you know, the rheumatoid arthritis really has not slowed her down. Well, it slowed her down a little bit. These could have taken a little less time. But, I mean, she still can roll with the rest of the big guns. Mm -hmm. So, Miss Gwendolyn, that's your neighbor. Yes, yes, I love her. Who it appears that um, everything you've just brought me Mm -hmm. is something you took from her. Uh, Yes, yes. I mean, I'll bring it back. I guess I should wash it first, but I, mm-hmm. I'll give it back. Well, it's delightful and very strange. And it does allow me to sort of get a little bit of a window into what your process might be. Because I did mention your, your film, your first film. Yes, yes, A Horse Driven. A Horse Driven, yes. I think what's most important about that title, if you'll forgive me, is the, the comma. Oh, well, grammar is important. And I think a comma, when I see a movie title with a comma in it, I think to myself, this person has gone above and beyond to make this a little obtuse. Uh, very interesting, though. Very... Uh, 
intriguing to me, very appealing to my sensibility. Mm. So I know a little bit about a horse driven. I, I saw it um, and I read up on it a little bit. And I'm to understand, and this is kind of interesting because I don't know that you really see it in the film, but it is based on the Greek myths. Oh, yes, yes. Which ultimately became about a simple bean farmer and his horse. Let me see if I can get this process right. They had a script about Greek gods, a tale of heroism and uh, right. with, with uh, a lot of fantastical elements in it. And they brought you in. Originally, the character of the bean farmer was uh, one of many background humans who were affected by the whims of the gods. I mean, I saw all these gods and goddesses and monsters in the first draft of the script. And I said, guys, I think we can get the budget down. Smart. I thought so. So when I see the film A Horse Driven, and I mean this as a high, high compliment, um, you would never know that it had anything to do with those stale old Greek myths and these bearded men throwing lightning bolts and punishing mortals and all this stuff we've seen a million times before. And what we do have is the uh, near wordless, elliptical, ambiguous, slow paced story that depicts a beautiful relationship between a simple bean farmer and his overworked horse starring Mr. Christian Bale in a, I would say a star making turn, but since he was already a star, it was a quasar making turn. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. What was it like to work with Christian Bale? Oh, how do you even put into words what Chris brings to a production? I mean, he disappears flawlessly, physically, mentally. It's really breathtaking to behold. Um, he lives in the character for the entire shoot. I read that in order to do this film, he gained 200 pounds so that he could then lose 250 pounds because he felt that the character had recently lost weight. Yes, that is true. And uh, because of that conviction, we did have to rearrange the shooting schedule because he wanted to do it organically. So we actually shot in order, oh, wow. which is wow. pretty rare. That is very rare. Very, very rare. But I mean, it brought such gravitas to the role because he really lived it. It was magnificent to behold, really. I've heard stories about, you know, a temper. And I think we've all seen the famous video where he uh, broke a man's arms for uh, stepping into his light on a shot. Be your most authentic self. Get everything off your chest so that you can deliver the performance that is needed. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Maybe snapping at the PA a couple times is what it took. And Somebody low on the totem pole who, let's right, face it. Like, yeah who cares but uh you know what he he's really deep and he delivers and that means living in method really living in the words and the character and so you have to let him berate a few people around breakfast so that he's good till lunch plus i mean he's losing weight so he's not eating and you know people get hangry i mean i don't know what i would do if i wasn't allowed to berate people so I can totally understand that. Do you look back and have any different thoughts about how you might have adapted the material? So there was one scene that I kind of regret not getting into the final cut. Um, it was probably the most blatant uh, reference to Zeus and his predilection for young women and turning into things to seduce them. Um, but there was this... Seduce is a really charitable word. But... Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. We're uh, speaking in the Me Too era. He was fond of 
coming to Earth in the form of something, either a, a man or an animal of some sort. Right, right. Um, I, you know, that guy might have even done it as like a beam of light or something. But oh, he was gonna, you name it, he, he was going to come down and, and, and get some of that. Oh, yes. Yeah. And get it, he did. Can but... you say that someone took someone anymore? You can't say that anymore. Mm, maybe. Mm. I don't know. Uh, but let's just say. I still like saying it. <laughs> let's just say uh, it was this climactic, erotically charged scene wherein uh, Bale is attacked mm. by a swan. Mm. And it ultimately went unfilmed because, uh, you know, he got into a fist fight with the swan handler, Ignacio, and uh, it just set us back a few days. Um, and we worked around it. And I, um, I'm still proud of the end product. I think by removing all of the mythological aspects from the movie, in a way, you made a greater myth than any mere tale of fantasy could ever be. Thank you. The way this movie begins and ends on a long shot of Christian Bale staring at the horizon while his horse tills the ground right in front of him. Um, I remember watching those shots thinking to myself, I don't know how long this shot could possibly last. And then it lasted a little bit longer. Yes. And I thought... This is a really good indie film. Thank you. It's beautifully shot and almost impossible to follow. You know what I mean? Yes. I wanted you to have so many questions walking out that it almost overwhelmed your psyche. I turned to someone leaving the theater with me and I said, what was that? What did we just see? That was exactly what I was going for. <laughs> Darn it. Oh my goodness. Are you all right? I've, I've knocked my tea onto my lap here. Did you scald yourself? It's it's really hot. Um, oh, oh my goodness. Are you okay? Uh, do you need some ice towel? Uh, uh, yes. What can I do? Oh, please. Okay. Please. Um, I'll Ooh. be right back. I have to go to Miss Gwendolyn's. Oh, okay. So this uh, Miss Gwendolyn? Could take a minute. Uh, Miss Gwendolyn, are you there? bandaged up and um, might be a good time to turn our attention to the project that is the real focus of this conversation something you were just hired to do yes I can see that you're very excited about it. I am you were hired to direct the adaptation of a book that I believe has been around for a really long time but it has never been adapted into a film there have been several books but it's known as the moons of Gundahar series Yes. I'll have to admit my own ignorance here. I don't know this type of material, but I'm to understand it's not too different from, from Star Wars or something like that. Right. It's kind of along the same line. It's... Um, I mean, for children. Oh, absolutely. It's it's all for kids. What does Marletha Rennie Purdue see in The Moons of Gundahar? Well, I feel like with every project I work on, I'm brought on to do something bold. You don't hire me to just read the book and splash that onto the screen that's not going to happen mm -hmm. so i rolled around in it for honestly a week at least trying to figure out what these pages were trying to tell me mm -hmm. and i realized that this was all an allegory for the environment you just made it sound a hundred times smarter than any sci-fi thing has ever sounded yes so i took a ton of liberties. I changed around a lot. I know it's early days yet, and I know there hasn't even been a screenwriter or a cast or anything like that announced for it. Right. But I'm sure you have big ideas. Oh, a ton. Maybe you'd like to share some of those just kind of general ideas uh, that you have uh, for this 
I don't know what we want to call it. It's a pulpy, kind of schlocky story. I'm sure there's lots of room for you to work your magic. Tell me what you have in mind. A lot of changes, lots of uh, compression, a lot of new additions, a lot of lens flares. There are four books about about these moons of Gandahar. Uh, my notes say Gandahar, uh, but I don't know. Whatever. Okay. Right. Um, but anyway, Somebody so there are six moons. There are six moons, and um, we've got one movie, so we're going to change it, and we're going to make it one moon, six tribes. Instead of a different tribe on each moon, they're all on one. This is obviously, you know, it has to do with some cost saving, um, but also I believe it's important in terms of making the story more relatable and grounded. I think, honestly, like, this is my chance to add some depth to the fantasy genre. Finally. I mean... Someone had to eventually. I think I'm looking at the person that can do it. Thank you. I. Uh, you know, when I get really sincere and my heart's really in it, I become almost inaudible. A being of pure vocal fry who I, exists only in a microphone. I can feel that. I can, I can barely hear you right now. I hope. I hope it's good. I hope it's clear. Because I mean it. So you will be compressing four books into one movie. Right. Do you have any idea? I imagine there's a lot of a lot of fluff in these books that you're having to oh. kind of condense down. Do you have any idea which characters and scenarios you're going to be dealing with? Well, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of big guys with ray guns. And I mean, how many of those can you really care about? So we're going to narrow that down. There's a bunch of different villains. But the one that really speaks to me is uh, Lord Testicle. It's an evocative name. Yes. So I'm going to pull ideas from all of the four completed novels, obviously. And, uh, you know, he's just going to be the main villain he's going to take from all of those different stories. Really, we're just trying to burn through the whole thing in one fell swoop because I think sequels are a heartless cash grab. Um, and I don't believe in them. So in a way, you're sort of uh, sort of salting the earth. Oh, yeah. No one's going to do another one of these when I'm done with it. Well, this all sounds very bold. Any other changes? Absolutely. Um, I'll only let on to one more, which I think is probably the biggest one that uh, fans of the books will notice. Um, I'm trying to make the movie a bit less of a, um, what do the kids call it, a sausage party. So I'm going to recast. I'm going to be flipping genders. I'm going all over the place. We're going to be making people younger, making people hotter. I mean... That's what you come to look at, right? Absolutely. There's this, uh, you know, uh, supporting character guy that um, the fans tend to love. He's like this little blue dragon um, cord. A little blue dragon yeah. cord. Um, but yeah, so we're going to make him human. That's going to save a gazillion dollars right off the bat. But then I feel like we can really make this a good character mm -hmm. uh, piece. I like that. I mean, for one thing, making him human makes it more relatable. Exactly. And you can actually get a character in there. You know, people don't want to see a blue... <laughs> Dragon? Do 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 dragons contain multitudes? I know humans do. I don't know about dragons. I'd have to check. I, have you ever even seen a dragon? Like That's not in my notes, but I will look it up. Okay. Well, obviously, these kind of big changes and this kind of bold thinking doesn't come without a cost. And I will tell you, the fans of this series, they're already out in droves. Now, we know in this climate of today with social media and the instant reaction. There's no way anything gets announced without some people voicing their opinions on it. So I don't want to rattle you, but- You I couldn't was, if you tried. I was going to share with you then some um, tweets that I found. This Twitter user, Release the Snyder Cut, has posted a thread reacting to your hiring on the project. And I just thought I would share some of these tweets with you and see what kind of reaction you get. All right. Now these are all caps. Tweet, so I will do my best to convey the emotion. Okay. 
Of course, they hired a woman, but no woman can understand the challenge at Throndar's gate. Mm. So I expected people to not trust my judgment simply because I'm a woman. But who knows better about struggle and sacrifice and persistence than a woman? So you do understand the challenge at Throndar's Gate? I'm sure I will. I mean, I rolled around on it for days. You did. You told me about that. Here's our next tweet. This is actually from a different uh, Twitter user. This is release underscore the underscore Snyder underscore cut. People are really into the Snyder Cut. People really want to see it. They will make everyone gay, calling it now. Do you plan to make everyone in the Moons of Gondar series gay? Well, not everyone, but I am trying to kind of reflect our current society. And so, of course, there are people of different sexualities and gender preferences and fluidities. So I'm obviously going to represent that. So he half called it. Here's the last one. This will be worse than Last Jedi. And that's saying something. I'm tired of them shoving a PC agenda down my throat. Reactions? No. Well, I want you to know that today I have found you to be a delight. And I look forward to seeing your evolution of the fantasy film. Uh, maybe you'll give us a chance to step in and catch up with you at various points in the production and see how things are going. Absolutely. I've had fun talking to you, Pledge. Oh, um, would you like to take the scones to go? I mean, uh, yeah, Let me just get a, a Tupperware from Miss Gwendolyn. I'll be right back. Okay. I don't think I could stop you. Oh, it'll be fine. I waited there for two and a half hours. And in all that time, Marletha Rennie Perdue never returned and though I knocked on Miss Gwendolyn's door as I walked by there was no answer I'm Pledge Cracklebar for NPR good night This program was made possible by a generous donation from the Catherine L. Schuster Foundation and listeners like you.